and welcome to Know That Really Happened. I'm your host, Joey Estava-Garcy, and yes, I am that thing that's been screeching under your bed for the last few weeks. How sweet of you to notice. It's Halloween time, and I've got some real murdery stories for you. Joining me again is the illustrious, effervescent Emily Scott. Hello! Those are very nice words. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? How's your October? I feel like I blinked and it was over. Yes, same. I have been uh, away for one of my best friend's weddings for two and a half weeks or something. So I feel like I missed all of spooky season, which is unfortunate. But I have lots of lots of Halloween weekend plans to hopefully make up for that. I'm probably going to stay home and watch all of the Scream movies by myself and um, not be able to sleep for several days. When the most recent Scream movie came out, I watched all of them one day at a time leading up to when I was going to see Scream 5. And I recorded and ranked all of the kills based on how sick they were. Um, so I, now I just have a list of all the kills in the entire Scream franchise based on how cool the deaths are. <laughs> of course you do. This is, you guys, you guys, this is the most Emily thing I've ever heard in my life. Tell our listeners about all of the other lists like that. <laughs> Oh my god, too many. We don't have the time. The most ridiculous notes in my phone. <laughs> While I was getting ready for this episode, I was thinking about the last episode and you know how sometimes you're thinking about a thing and then it just kind of clicks into place with another thing with no explanation? Yeah. So I was thinking about Clarence Saunders and my brain just went ding! Doug Dimmodome, owner of the Dimsdale Dimmodome. <laughs> That's so true. That's so weird. Today's episode is called, Why Won't You Die? That is because I'm going to talk about three people who, spoiler alert, they're all dead, and somebody was trying to kill them. I'll start with this one. I feel like you know this name, Grigory Yefimovich Rasputin. Yes, I know of the animated um, Anastasia, so I am familiar with Rasputin. (laughs) So Rasputin, for the other Anastasia fanatics who are listening, Rasputin was a real person. I do not know if he actually lived underground with various bugs and bats. Probably not, I'm it, assuming. It, it seems unlikely, but you know. <laughs> seems like a falsification on <laughs> Warner Brothers' part, but that movie is a masterpiece, so I'm really not upset about it. Anyway, Rasputin was born in 1869, assassinated in 1916. Again, spoiler alert, but you knew what you were getting into here. This is the Halloween episode. He lived during the time of the last Tsar of Russia. And he was a holy man. So a lot of sources referred to him as like a monk or something, but he really didn't have any official position in the church. He was just kind of a dude who had had like a significant religious conversion experience and was like living his life as like a holy man or whatever. He just like girl bossed his way into the religious order. He was very close to the Tsar's family. And there's all kinds of sources claiming that he may have had a romantic and possibly sexual relationship with Tsarina Alexandra and the four grand duchesses. Ooh, they were little though, weren't they? They were children. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, the reason he was so close to the Tsar's family, or rather the reason he got close to them, is because he was working as a healer for the Tsar's son and heir, Alexei, who had hemophilia. Mm. Um, which is when your blood doesn't clot. But I wrote this outline at like 3 a.m. So in my stupor, I wrote, blood doesn't work right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. (laughs) 
I'm a very smart person. You should all be glad that you're trusting your academic fulfillment to my hands. So he was a healer for Alexi, and that's how he got close to the family. And then it ended up turning into a bunch of other things that I don't have time to talk about. My friends, Alicia and Tara, did an episode about Rasputin recently on their podcast, which, yes, go listen to that because I don't have time. And, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to talk about Rasputin. But I did go down a few of the rabbit holes on his Wikipedia. And I just, you just, just give me a second. Yes. I'm so excited to hear. So he had a daughter named Maria Rasputina. Okay. Who was, this resume is insane. She was a writer, a cabaret dancer, a riveter, and a lion tamer in the circus. (laughs) Gig economy, man. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, I'll drive your Uber too. It's so funny to me because I don't know. I assumed that because her dad was like a religious woo-woo man that... Maybe she like broke away from the church or something. Like she broke away oh, from... Oh, possibly. His, she was like the rebellious kid. That's my fan fiction for her. She says her father's healing practices on Alexi were based on, quote, animal magnetism, which is apparently a whole practice, though. It's like a okay. whole practice and not just like the concept of people being into each other, which is what I thought that okay. meant what is involved in the practice i i don't have time i need to keep pursuing <laughs> i love that you're just dropping these weird bombs and then like we have to skip over it don't worry about it <laughs> i don't have time according to her her father's murder occurred when sexual advances were made by felix yusupov and were rejected which i don't know who felix yusupov is but that's tea right <laughs> that is like <laughs> It also feels like, I don't know, there's something fishy about that story. It maybe sounds like Rasputin was gay. <laughs> like, hooking up with the entire family that he was working with, including the children. It's very, it's giving Mormon. It's giving <laughs> uh, fundamentalist Mormon. Sorry to like, you know, regular normal ass Mormons. But like, I just, that, the Mormons that they make documentaries about, that's what it's giving. Right. Although, have you seen those TikToks where... I think it actually was just one TikTok where a guy was going around BYU campus asking, would you rather drink a cup of coffee or a cup of vegetable oil? And a bunch of people were like, vegetable oil? Are you fucking kidding me? I've seen a couple of those. And then I've seen like the second generation TikToks where it's people joking about that thing. And they're like, would you rather like have sex with one person or kill your grandma? And like, oh, kill your grandma for sure. (laughs) Anyway, Maria married a guy she didn't like named Boris at her father's insistence. Boris was part of a mystic group cult thingy that was similar to something that her father had been involved in that communicated with the dead through seances. Well, she would go with him every time. And apparently Rasputin's spirit would repeatedly tell her, love Boris, love Boris. Rasputin is gay. (laughs) All this time she thought Rasputin was coming back from the dead to tell her to love her husband. But really, he's just saying, I love your husband. Yep. (laughs) You must love him as I love him. And so this also wasn't like Boris moving the Ouija board to like make it seem like her father was telling her to love him because he didn't like her either. Oh. (laughs) So they're hearing love Boris and he's like, no, 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 no. Literally. (laughs) Shut up, Rasputin. (laughs) He wrote in his diary that, quote, she wasn't even good for sexual relations because he found other women's bodies more attractive. (laughs) Oh, my God. Is this man on Love is Blind right now? (laughs) 
So like across the board, he was not into her. She was not into him. But Rasputin's ghost was super into them being together. <laughs> Boris went just like buck wild with antics during the Russian Civil War for some reason. It, uh, there's a whole list of them. We don't have time. But <laughs> he was trying to like James Bond a bunch of shit. And it just like would not work. Including... You know how we love the movie Anastasia, but we also, when we became adults, we were like, oh, everything in that movie is fake, right? Like, the people existed, but it's all fake. Yeah. One of the buck wild things that Boris did during the Russian Civil War was that he found young women willing to masquerade as the Grand Duchesses. So it was like real, like that, that element of it where people were pretending to be Anastasia was real. It was real. He was Dimitri. Wait, what was he getting out of this? Like a cut of the money that they would get or whatever? I guess. I don't know. I, you know, I didn't pursue that rabbit hole very much because I started pursuing another one. I'm assuming he was getting a cut of like whatever reward money. But there was a really famous Anastasia impersonator at the time. Not famous, but well known now named Anna Anderson. She was not one of the people that Boris found. She was unfortunately actually just a Polish factory worker named Franziska Szankowska who had a history of mental illness. Mm. But like a lot of people believed her and she lived until like the 60s just kind of like hopping from like nursing home to nursing home or like people would host her in their homes. Like people who believed her that she was Anastasia. Wow. She must have like a cult leader level of charisma. (laughs) If somebody showed up on my doorstep and was like, I don't know, looked maybe a little bit like Prince and was like, hey, I'm (laughs) Prince. I need your couch. I feel like I would need a lot of convincing before I let them (laughs) stay on my couch. As you should. Don't believe people when they say they're dead people. (laughs) Times before the internet were wild, man. Like I... I don't trust any of y'all until I do a full background check. (laughs) So, yeah, parts of Anastasia were real. They really did their homework on that one. Yeah. And then bastardized it. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, we were talking about Rasputin and the ways that he was murdered. He was assassinated in 1916, allegedly by a group of noblemen who took issue with the influence he had over Alexandra and Nicholas, which is understandable. Mm. What if he was fucking Nicholas, too? I don't... We don't have time. Um, was Rasputin just, like, <laughs> Dr. Frankenfurt? He was 6'4". Really? Yeah. That's really tall. People are weird about tall men, too. Like, have yeah. you... I, I feel like... I, I feel like there are people who just, like... He's tall and funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least funny is, you know... Funny is, is a reasonable funny thing to go, I guess. He was finally assassinated in 1916, but there was a first assassination attempt in 1914, which he survived, obviously. He was stabbed by a peasant woman with no nose. Okay? I have a picture of her on my phone. Oh, there's a picture. Oh, my gosh. She really has no nose. I don't know what I was expecting, but, yeah, she has no nose. Sources say she probably had a mental illness uh, because we don't really know anything about her before... Or really after, she did try to assassinate two people in her lifetime that we know about. So her occupation on Wikipedia is listed as assassin, which is, (laughs) I feel like a stretch, but okay. 
So then Rasputin was finally assassinated on December 30th, 1916, at the home of Felix Yusupov. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Right? So it had been like, there had been like a plan put in place to lure him there for dinner or something and to kill him. Officially, he died of three gunshot wounds, one of which was a close-range shot to his forehead. There's all kinds of speculation about what happened before he got shot. Historian Douglas Smith says what really happened at the Yusupov home in December 1916 will never be known. But the story that Yusupov told in his memoirs is generally the most frequently told version of events. And it's wild. (laughs) I was going to say, I would love to hear what he has to say. (laughs) So Yusupov said that he invited Rasputin to his home shortly after midnight. And it it really, you know, (laughs) it really is starting to sound... (laughs) Now that we've talked about it a little bit more, yeah. Because, like, I, I'm assuming they had some sort of prior, like, knowledge of each other, some kind of friendship or some some something going on between them. Because you don't just go over to people's houses that you don't know. Right. Especially not after midnight. He was the husband of Princess Irina Alexandrovna Romanovna, the Tsar's niece. So maybe they knew each other that way. They were at court and whatever. So anyway, Yusupov invited Rasputin over, quote-unquote, for tea. After midnight for tea. After okay. midnight. Okay, Felix, be fucking for real right now. <laughs> like- <laughs> so Felix offered Rasputin tea and cakes, which had been laced with cyanide. Rasputin initially refused the cakes, but then he began to eat them and appeared unaffected by the poison. And what's even weirder is that later in his autopsy, no signs of cyanide were found. Then he asked for some wine, which had also been poisoned, and he drank three glasses, but nothing happened. Huh. So then, after the wine didn't do anything, Felix went upstairs and got a revolver from his friend. And he, so there were other people in the house, and it was just him and Rasputin in the basement having tea and cake. Uh. Dmitry Pavlovich is who he got the revolver from. Took the revolver to the basement, and look at this dramatic motherfucker. He <laughs> goes down to the basement and tells Rasputin that he, quote, Better look at the crucifix and say a prayer. Oh, my God. (laughs) And then shot him in the chest. What a drama queen. Also, like, (laughs) I'm trying to imagine, like, how this went. He, like, runs upstairs and he's like, Dimitri, buddy, you got a gun, right? (laughs) Can I borrow it? (laughs) Okay, this Looney Tunes motherfucker. He shot him once in the chest. They thought he was dead. The conspirators, so Felix and I guess the other people who were in his house, drove to Rasputin's apartment with Rasputin's coat and hat on so that people would see him walking in and they would think that Rasputin had gone home that night. (laughs) That's a lot. (laughs) That is a plot from, like, a Steve Martin movie. And it's not even over. Yusupov goes back to the house, to the basement, to make sure that Rasputin is dead. Suddenly, Rasputin jumps up and attacks him. So he's been shot in the chest, poisoned with three glasses of wine, and possibly cyanide, is not dead. Okay? Sure, why not? (laughs) So Yusupov runs away, and Rasputin followed him into the courtyard where he was shot again. He collapsed into a snowbank, and then the conspirators wrapped him up in cloth and threw him into the river. There have been people who would say that, like, oh, he was shot those three times and thrown into the river, and then he didn't even die of, like the gunshot wounds or the poison or the drowning he died of like exposure Mm. or something but that has been debunked um the autopsy did show that he was dead before any drowning 
like in a zombie movie, they had to like make sure to get his brain before he like actually died. <laughs> yeah, who has the steak? And then I love this little paragraph at the bottom. Allegedly, Grand Duchess Tatiana, who had been earlier alleged to have been raped by Rasputin, was present at the site of Rasputin's murder, disguised as lieutenant, so that she could revenge herself. Wow. So it's rumored that Rasputin was castrated at some point during this process. Mm. And the French ambassador to Russia wrote that Tatiana had witnessed it, but there's like very little credibility to the rumor. Does it ever give a motive for Felix? So the like official motive was that it was a group of noblemen who didn't like the influence he was having on the czar. Okay. So it was like a political assassination. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or it was a lover's quarrel. <laughs> you know. I feel like if I was a Ouija board kind of person, I'd want to ask Felix some questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's so great. <laughs> yeah. So that's how Rasputin was really difficult to kill. I love it. I, I knew that culturally about him, but I did not know the story. So also he seemed like a gross guy anyway. So. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, if you look at pictures of him, I do not think this is an attractive dude. He really, I don't know, must have been really good with his hands or like... <laughs> this should be a horror movie. <laughs> I'm making your film career right now. Yes. So, how you feeling? Are you ready for the next one? Yes. Yes, I'm excited. What do you know about Fidel Castro? I am white and I went to public school in America, so virtually nothing. <laughs> That's what's up. So let me fill you and everyone else in. Fidel Castro was a Cuban revolutionary leader and politician who was the leader of Cuba from 1959 to 2008, serving as the prime minister of Cuba from 59 to 76 and president from 76 to 2008. I could talk for a whole episode about him as well, just because there's so much information, um, especially involving like the revolution before he came to power. But I'll, I'll just say Fidel Castro was a huge problem for the CIA because he was how you say uh, communist? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that tracks as to why he would be a problem for the CIA. Yeah, so I don't know if you knew this, but in the 50s, the United States government did not like communism, like very aggressively Whoa. did not like communism. This is the first I've heard of it. I know, wild, right? <laughs> Safe to say there are some books in my apartment that would have gotten me arrested back then. So the CIA is like, we got to take this guy out. Guess how many times they tried to take out Fidel Castro? Uh, he's in office for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So I assume consistently throughout that time. Um, I'm going to go conservative and say four. Mm hmm. Yes. Yes, that is conservative. Um, <laughs> the CIA attempted to assassinate Fidel Castro over 600 times. What? What? That is insane. The manpower behind that alone. This person isn't even in our country. I don't understand. Like, that feels very personal at that point. Like, I, I'm not for everyone. I'm not everyone's cup of tea. But 600 times. <laughs> Following World War II, the United States became engaged in this super cool, super, super non-imperialist practice of international political assassinations and attempts on foreign leaders. That's, ugh, that is wild to me. 
now I know why I didn't learn about this in American public school where we said the Pledge of Allegiance every day. Dude, Sorry. for real. <laughs> the way this podcast is already flagged by the FBI. <laughs> I hope our FBI agents are falling in love with us. <laughs> Till they hear the next episode. It'll be so much fun. Exactly. Oh, my God. We have two free listeners. <laughs> yes, our audience is growing. <laughs> So for a considerable period of time, the U.S. government officials vehemently denied any knowledge of this program existing. So it was like a program, like a planned program where they were assassinating leaders. They um, had like very specific targets. They had yeah. like a, a strategy. Yeah. The U.S. government officials, like I said, have vehemently denied any knowledge of this program since it would have been against the United Nations Charter, obviously. But it does explain the kind of staggering number of assassination plots. And while I was reading about this, one of my sources phrased this in a way that, like, we have some more tea, I feel like. This is another Felix Rasputin situation. Because he said, it explains a staggering number of assassination plots aiming at creating a favorable impression on President John F. Kennedy. Mm. A favorable impression on John F. Kennedy. <laughs> Which one of you guys has a crush on daddy? <laughs> oh, my God. Which one of you guys is trying to impress daddy? <laughs> Imagine trying to kill one person over 600 times just to get the attention of a man. <laughs> but, man, JFK really, like, pulled people, though. He had He had such a hold on every single person's genitals when he was president. <laughs> I'm just imagining another movie, like a Steve Martin CIA movie, where he's the guy. Maybe we imagined up until this point that these 600 plots were planned by like a committee, but it was actually just one dude <laughs> planning all 600 of these because he's so like senpai notice me about yeah. JFK. There's some real pick in the CIA, I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> it really is some like plankton level shit. <laughs> the CIA's campaign to assassinate him this article refers to as an obsessive and error-prone campaign so along with kind of the basic sort of put a sniper on a building shoot him when he's driving by sort of situations um there were also some really looney tunes ass attempts including things like an exploding cigar okay so just a year after Castro seized power, the agency spiked his favorite cigars with a botulinum toxin strong enough to kill anybody who put one in their mouth. And did he just not smoke cigars that day? or The cigars were delivered to, quote unquote, an unidentified person. Well, that was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right? It just went to the wrong person. Like, they were like, what? Here. And then that person probably died. Yeah. Eisenhower involved the mafia. What is the mafia going to do? I know the mafia is powerful, but like they can do things that CIA can't. What? Yeah, they could get in in a different way than they could. Because they like have not not morals even, but really like theoretically the CIA has to abide by some laws. In theory. In theory. And maybe he thought the mafia would be more likely to not. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> possibly maybe he just needed like ideas from people who knew how to kill people <laughs> good point so one of the mobsters suggested that poison pills were more reliable than guns so the cia provided six pills of high lethal content quote unquote to a cuban official who had access to castro the cuban got cold feet several times and the plan was abandoned 
Okay. Man. Like Tom and Jerry back and forth. Supremely. Like a roadrunner situation. <laughs> there was another time where, so Castro really loved scuba diving. <laughs> okay. And they hid explosives inside of a big seashell. <laughs> That's my favorite one. They're like trying to weaponize his like wholesome hobbies now. They're like, Literally. oh, maybe he'll really like this adorable, cute seashell and try to pick it up. And then, come on, guys. Because, like... It was someone who was in love with Castro. Maybe. <gasps> or or imagine, like, a rom-com where, like, the head of the CIA is, like, required to learn so much about Castro in order to kill him. But the more that he learns about him, the more he falls in love with him. Like, I like scuba diving, too. I enjoy a cigar from time to time. Oh my God, played by Daniel Radcliffe. I want to watch this movie. <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe would love being in that film. <laughs> Greenlighted, greenlit immediately. <laughs> Another attempt was a contaminated diving suit. So they planned to contaminate one of his diving suits with a fungus that would produce a chronic and debilitating skin disease. The diving suit, as well as an infected breathing apparatus, were supposed to be given to Castro by an American lawyer who had been involved with hostage negotiations in Cuba. But the guy gave Castro a different suit. On purpose? Or on accident? I don't know. Because <laughs> both of those are ridiculous in different ways. Yeah. It feels like a lot of people in this list just kind of forgot what they were supposed to be doing. <laughs> That's so true. Or maybe like <laughs> they keep relying on the, these people that like have access to Castro to do these things, but maybe Castro's just like a nice guy and they just like get to know him. Well, I shouldn't say that because I don't know enough about him. Maybe he committed atrocities. I don't know. But maybe he's just a charming fella. <laughs> <laughs> That's why everybody, including his CIA agent, have fallen in love with him. Oh, and here's another one of these people who just kind of decided not to do it at the last second. It was kind of a James Bond-esque situation because this woman named Marita Lorenz was Castro's sort of like femme fatale. She was his lover uh, in 1959 and she was contacted by the CIA and given two botulism toxin pills to drop in Castro's drink. So her story goes, just one would kill him in 30 seconds, but she got cold feet. She said to Vanity Fair, I knew the moment I saw the outline of Havana, I couldn't do it. Interesting. Right? It's it, it's interesting to me because, like, you would think if she, like, cared about him as a person that she wouldn't accept it in the first place. But she cared about him enough to not do it in the end. This is, like, some real Game of Thrones shit. I feel like, I feel like there's a lot of machinations going on and a lot of loyalties that are being relied upon. And nobody's following through. <laughs> And um, apparently, even if she had wanted to follow through on killing him, she she put the pills to hide them in her cold cream jar, and it made them unusable like an idiot. With cold cream in it? Because, yeah. like, I'm yeah. just imagining her, like, doing her, like, skincare routine and getting botulism. Oh, no, this poor woman. <laughs> That's not a really sneaky place to hide, you know, pills. So Castro, she thinks that Castro knew. She says he leaned over pulled out his 45 and handed it to me. He didn't even flinch. And he said, you can't kill me. Nobody can kill me. And he kind of smiled and chewed on his guitar. On his guitar. Chewed on his cigar. Guitar! <laughs> like Jimi Hendrix chewed on his guitar. 
But then, hold on, the quote's not over. The quote's not over because she says, okay, she says, he kind of smiled and chewed on his cigar. I felt deflated. He was so sure of me. He just grabbed me. We made love. Oh, my God. (laughs) These people are all so dramatic. Seriously, that's so funny. What kind of a sociopath gets turned on by assassination attempts? Yeah, he's like, oh, you try to kill me? That's so hot. Like, <laughs> so sexy when you try to murder me, babe. You know what? I I guess I'm not going to yuck their yum, but like, what a what a yum to choose. Like, once again, this feels like a movie. This feels like a really bad, like, action movie set in Havana. Yeah. And this is my favorite one. It's probably a misnomer to call them all assassination attempts because not all of them were attempts to kill him some of them were attempts to like make him look stupid or like undermine his public image in 1960 the cia planned to sabotage one of his speeches by spraying his broadcasting studio <laughs> with a chemical that behaved a lot like lsd <laughs> they were trying to get him high <laughs> they were trying to get him high on lsd live live on the radio so that he would start acting crazy i guess not knowing what was going on and then people would be like oh what the fuck is going on with him oh my god that's so funny like what a what a choice they're getting real creative there at the cia (laughs) and apparently they this one was never tried but they talked about dusting his shoes with thallium salts which would have made his beard fall out because he had like a really iconic beard oh they were gonna take him down via facial hair. They um, were literally like mean girlsing him. Yeah. <laughs> what if we give Castro these protein bars and we tell him that they're gonna make them lose weight? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, literally. They Incredible. were just trying to get rid of his army of skanks. So that's all I got about Fidel Castro and all the different types of ways. The CIA tried to kill him. He did not die of an assassination in the end. I think, didn't he? He had, like, cancer or something. Or he was mm. just old. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's it's impressive to survive 600 assassination attempts. I don't know. I got to be I got to be impressed by that. Im- impressed, impressed by his team, really, too. I'm sure that they uh, they protected him very well from that. But. I'm going to look up Fidel Castro's birth chart to see, like, what his situation is. Because people just, like, like wimped out of killing him a lot. They really did. They just, like, completely gave up right before they were supposed to kill him a lot. And it... Yeah. Like, what star were you born under that people look at you and they're like, oh, I don't want to kill you. Yeah. Because <laughs> I I'm, feel like I'm... that's not the star I was born under. <laughs> people see me walk in with a smile on my face and they're like, oh, I hate that one. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, fuck you in particular. (laughs) Yeah, you and the horse you rode in on. (laughs) Are you ready for my last story? Yes. This is the story of the killing of Michael Malloy. He lived from 1873 to 1933. He became known after his death as Mike the Durable or Iron Mike. Is Durable something that you would like to be known for? Um, durable is very close to resilient, and I personally hate being called resilient. I don't want to be resilient. I want to uh-uh. be cozy and happy. <laughs> yeah. Let me walk into my feminine era, please. Like, yes. I'm so tired of doing everything myself. <laughs> you shouldn't have to do everything by yourself all the time forever. 
Exactly. Um, but yeah, so I immediately already feel bad for Mike because if that's the, <laughs> the lasting legacy of Mike, he must have had a really hard life. He did have a very hard life. Mike the Durable or Iron Mike, Michael Malloy. He was a homeless Irishman from County Donegal who lived in New York City during the 20s and 30s. Before he was homeless, he was a firefighter. We don't really know anything else about him up until this story. So his friends, while he was alcoholic and homeless, decided to kill him for the insurance money. Oh, my God. Yeah. So just wrap his your head friends? around that. Well, OK. Acquaintances. We'll call them his acquaintances. So his five acquaintances, Tony Marino, Joseph Murphy, Francis Pasqua, Hershey Green, and Daniel Kreisberg, later dubbed the Murder Trust by the headlines. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they plotted to kill him for the insurance money. They were going to try to get him to drink himself to death and collect oh. um, accidental life insurance money on him. We're assuming they had, you know, a corrupt insurance agent who was, you know, in on it and whatever. And they stood to gain over $3,500, which at the time was equivalent to $73,000 if Malloy died. Marino owned a speakeasy and he gave Malloy unlimited access to the speakeasy. Like he could drink for free, thinking that Malloy would abuse it and like drink himself to death. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, though, even though Malloy drank literally all day long it didn't kill him so marino tried replacing his liquor with antifreeze oh my god <laughs> but <Isn't> nothing happened <laughs> he just built up a tolerance he's too good <laughs> so this is a possible explanation is that ethanol blocks absorption of ethylene glycol in the liver and is used as an antidote for antifreeze poisoning like oh, alcohol is so there's some science for you huh okay wait did 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 mike not notice that his liquor was changing <laughs> in taste and possibly color <laughs> i mean alcohol doesn't like taste good by itself so no. i feel like you're just like kind of knocking it back and you probably get used to that as, as someone who drinks all the time not even looking in the glass anymore so when the antifreeze wasn't working, they replaced it with turpentine, which didn't work, followed by horse liniment, which didn't work. Wait, what's horse liniment? Horse liniment is like the thing that they rub on a horse that um, it's like a lotion or a balm, and it's usually okay. rubbed on the skin to like warm your muscles and whatever. Okay. So it's like Vicks VapoRub. I'm sure it's nothing like that at all, but that's the equivalent in my head. No, I mean, it sounds like it. It looks like at this point, they just started like looking around to see what they had. They were like, the shit that we thought would work didn't work. So what else do you have? You have Vicks? All right, let's fucking, I don't know, Tiger Bomb. Let's put that shit in there. <laughs> they also finally tried rat poison and that didn't do anything. God, okay. After all of those things didn't kill Mike, Marino started giving him shots of wood alcohol. So pure methanol in, in with one of his normal shots of liquor. The group then gave him some raw oysters soaked in that wood alcohol. Pasqua came up with that idea because apparently he claimed he saw a man die after eating oysters with whiskey. Yeah, it seems <laughs> like they're really running out of ideas at this point. I think all three of these stories should just have the subtitle Looney Tunes ass shit. Because the next thing that they tried, Looney Tunes ass shit. They gave him a sandwich of spoiled sardines mixed with poison and carpet tacks. So they're moving on to, like, physically abrasive materials, not just, like, liquids 
physically pointy, harmful things. And how did he not notice that he was eating a sandwich of tacks? The inside of his mouth must have just been numb. The only thing I can think is that, like, do you think he had a party trick to, like, seem like he was eating and drinking stuff, but he actually wasn't because he knew that they were trying to... <laughs> no, but deadass, he was, like, pouring them out over his shoulder into a plant. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of nonsense going on with this one. Um, So when the sardine tack poison sandwich didn't work, they concluded that it was unlikely that anything Malloy ingested was going to kill him quickly enough. So the group decided to, this is horrific, the group decided to freeze him to death um, on an extremely cold night after Malloy drank until he passed out. They carried him to a park, dumped him in the snow, and poured five gallons of water on him. Oh my god, these people are so evil. Like, just Ex shoot him and get it over with. Extremely. Evil, evil people. That and you know what? What? You know what? He still didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> of course he didn't. He was like, so, come on, guys. Shortly after they did that, he was actually found by a police officer who took him to like a homeless shelter and gave him new clothes and stuff. So then the group tried to kill him by running him over with one of their taxis. So they hit him with the taxi. It didn't kill him, but it put him in the hospital for three weeks with broken bones. Mm. So on February 23rd, 1933, after Malloy had passed out for the night, the murderers kidnapped him and took him to Murphy's place. They put a hose in his mouth that was connected to the coal gas jet and turned it on. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this finally killed him. Um, Jesus. He, yeah. He died within an hour. He was pronounced dead of lobar pneumonia and buried quickly. That is wild to think that, like, <laughs> your friends are conspiring to kill you so hard. That's insane. There was a little restitution, though I'm not, you know, I'm not a fan of the death penalty. But the five men were put on trial and convicted. Green went to prison, but the other four members were sentenced to death and executed in the electric chair. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. Which is, like, an equally gruesome way to respond to that situation. Yeah. Yeah. So, Michael Malloy. Iron Mike, very difficult to kill. That just made me feel like the movie of Michael Malloy's movie should also have Daniel Radcliffe. It's like very Swiss Army Man, but... Yeah! Different. That's so true. Man, I would love to see Daniel Radcliffe in every movie, to be honest with you. He has one of the most interesting careers to me. Because, like, if I had fuck you money like that, I would do what he's doing, which is do whatever he wants to do. And that's great for him. Imagine living in a world with that kind of financial freedom. Imagine communism. Right? <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> I like how in the first episode we got into like the like commodification of female bodies. And then in, in this one we got into like late stage capitalism and uh, nationalism. <laughs> Full circle. So are you ready to tell your stories? Yes. <laughs> Let me grab my hot cocoa and popcorn. Okay, so I will start with, in terms of creepy things that have happened on the set of horror movies, one of the cooler stories that I found was uh, from the Amityville Horror remake from 2005, starring mm -hmm. Ryan Reynolds. So apparently there was also like a little situation in the 1979 one. Josh Brolin is the star of that movie. He's playing the guy who, the dad figure who commits the murders. 
and he didn't want to take it because he was like feeling all kind of weird about it. But apparently he was reading the script one morning and getting to like kind of a scary part in the story. A pair of his pants across the room fell off a hanger. He was oh. like, and he like jumped out of his chair and like was like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so he ended up doing it. And then in 2005, they made the remake of this movie. Ryan Reynolds plays the character that Josh Brolin originally played. And Josh um, Brolin's pants came flying at him <laughs> from a closet. These pants have been dead for 50 years. <laughs> That's another um, movie that you could write. But when they were, they were about to start filming the 2005 remake of this movie. And they had to delay filming because a dead body washed up on shore like right by the set no which was like you know unrelated but very creepy you know yeah Um, and then throughout the filming at some point somebody mentions that they keep waking up in the middle of the night and everybody's like oh like i am too like everybody keeps waking up in the middle of the night and then they like compare notes including Ryan Reynolds, by the way. I think he's the one who has told this story. And they compare notes, and they find out that they're all waking up at 3.15 a.m., which is when the murders happened in Amityville, like the original Amityville murders. Shut up. Isn't that insane? (laughs) Oh, my God, that really happened. Apparently. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. (gasps) Yeah. fuck? So that's a crazy story where no one dies, which is nice. (laughs) Why... I'm kind of a woo-woo bitch, and I'm like, everybody was waking up at 3.15? Like, who was upset that you were telling their story? That's, ooh. Yeah. Weirdly, also, another 2005 movie, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Did you ever watch that? Absolutely not. I don't think I did watch that, but I remember it coming out when I was younger. Anyway, it is a story about an exorcism, obviously, as evidenced in the title. (laughs) Jennifer Carpenter is the name of the lead actress. And throughout the process of filming this movie, this is like weirdly similar to that story that I just told, but her radio alarm clock in her room would keep switching on randomly. And every time it switched on, it was playing the same song, (gasps) which, and the song was Alive by Pearl Jam. Shut up. The chorus is, oh, I, oh, I'm still alive. Hey, I, oh, I'm still alive. Hey, I, oh, I'm still alive. No. Okay. So my dear listeners, what you need to understand is that my mouth has just been open the entire time that Emily was telling that story. And then when you started telling the lyrics, that's a demon telling us that he's still alive. Wild. (laughs) So she started kind of mentioning this apparently and um the other cast members were talking about how they were hearing that song everywhere too they would be like out and about and they would hear it their radios would come on and they would hear it so they had the hotel take the alarm radios out of all of their hotel rooms so that it wouldn't pop on for no reason and play alive by pearl jam oh my god well i mean that is a solution Apparently it did eventually stop, but there was never an explanation for why that song kept coming up. It was the demon. It was Emily's demon. Yeah. Oh my God. Ew, I don't like it. (laughs) Very uncomfortable. Oh my God. Don't like that at all. Those were great stories though. Those were excellent. 
I can quickly tell the story of Franz Ferdinand. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Let's close so, out with Yeah. So do you know Franz Ferdinand? Uh, I am familiar with him as being like the the assassination that began World War Two or World War One. Is that right? Yes, correct. So there is a band called Franz Ferdinand, but we are talking about Archduke Franz Ferdinand. And this was another person who was kind of hard to kill. I didn't want to spend too much time on it because it's a short story. But essentially, the Black Hand was the name of an organization that was trying to kill him. They were afraid of what it would mean if he took power when he like ascended to the throne or whatever. So they plotted to kill him. And one day, on you know, lovely Sunday morning, he was driving around with his wife and the Black Hand threw a grenade. But it bounced under the car and exploded under the car behind them. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. There was like some shrapnel and it hit his wife in the cheek. All of his staff rushed him out of there. They took him inside somewhere. Got him all cleaned up and whatever. Now, Emily, if you had experienced an assassination attempt, would you go back out on the street that day? (laughs) Certainly not that day. I'll say that. Archduke Franz Ferdinand was like, fuck y'all, I want to go for a drive. Remember what happened the last time you went for a drive? So he goes back in the car with his wife and uh, they get His wife went too? Yeah. He was the one who got hit. I'd like to stay home and nurse my wounds for a little bit. No, yeah. He was like, no, wife, I want to drive around my Zoom Zoom mobile. So you're going to come with me. And uh, they both got shot. That'll teach you to leave the house. (laughs) that's the moral of today's episode thanks for joining enjoy (laughs) (laughs) so did did these stories get you in a halloweeny mood yes i feel so much better now because i have been in wedding mode for so long just getting back i was like i only have like three more days to be halloweeny and this definitely helped (laughs) yay oh good i hope these stories have been sufficiently spooky for you too dear listener Is there anything that you want to plug? I would love for people to watch my web series about the representation of women in film. It is called Represent on YouTube, and it's free. It was a lot of fun to make, and I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, and if you're interested in audiobooks, an audiobook of mine just appeared on Audible recently. It's called Finding Daisies by Jessica Jocelyn. It's a short book of poetry. It's only like an hour, hour-ish, following the life of a young woman through her adulthood. It's the story of her working through her mother wound and father wound, which was devastating to read about, but just absolutely beautiful. So that's on Audible. I'll see you back here in like two weeks. Remember, if you know any stories from history that sound fake, hit me up. I want to hear them at NTRHpod on Instagram or Twitter. Now get out there with your spooky, spooky skeleton. You know there's a skeleton inside you right now, right?